if Russia even looks cross-eyed at a NATO nation, then we're going to start World War III stat. Oh, wait, they did something? Uh, you know what? Let's do a fact-finding mission first. Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. So, a couple of people in Poland were killed when they were hit by debris from a Russian-made missile. And we don't know exactly what's going on. Um, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, I think yesterday, the day it happened, he's like, the Russians sent a missile into Poland. And then I think today... I mean, you know, they're on a different time zone. Anyways, I think he's like, well, you know, some Polish people might get killed with Russia attacking Ukraine. And so we don't know what's going on. Ukraine's weapons were made in Russia. You know, they're Russian-made weapons because Ukraine was part of Russia for so long, and they got a bunch of weapons left over from that. So we don't know what happened. It could be an anti-missile missile shot by the Ukrainians that accidentally went into Poland and killed a couple people. Well, in fact, that's what it's sounding like. But it would have been more interesting if, you know, basically, if, if a war go, the longer a war goes on, the more mistakes are going to happen. You know, you just can't do stuff perfectly. And so it could have been a Russian missile that, whatever, they probed in the program the wrong coordinates and it went to Poland and boom. And Poland is part of NATO and I think it's called Section 4 and Section 5, something like that, which says that if there's an attack on any one NATO thing, then all of NATO will attack back. Or at least that's what I thought, but I was, you know, now that it looked like it was almost going to be triggered, straight up World War III, like no ifs, ands, or buts, World War III, you know, 100 million dead Americans, it's actually Section 4 and Section 5, or Clause 4, Clause 5, uh, it, it forces NATO people to get together and decide what they want to do. doesn't mean they got to attack. And I think it was the NPR show this morning was saying, um, you know, Russia's saying, we didn't shoot that missile over there. And they're like, well, but we know that the Russians are liars. I mean, they said that repeatedly. It's like they're talking about Trump. They're like, those lying-ass Russians. And, I don't know, basically, as I watch the war, you know, it's a war. You don't always tell the truth. But the, the side that tells the truth way fucking more than the other side is the Russians tell the truth way more than the Ukrainians. And, you know, the Ukrainians are a small country. They've, they've been unjustly attacked by Russia etc. But anyways, you know, so maybe some line is in order. But anyways, like the Russians are like, we're getting our ass kicked in this city and we're going to leave. They have said that several times and it's been the truth. Like, you know, that's the thing that people, you know, that's the kind of thing that Ukraine lies about, that Russia tells the truth about repeatedly. So anyways, you know, a hundred years from now when people aren't being woke about it, uh, they're like, you know what, the Russians were kind of telling the truth, I think will be the result. I mean, no, no time soon. You know, and that just means that America's media is a bunch of liars, which is my, you know, that's my drum that I like to beat. And I think, you know, Biden talked about it, and instead of saying, start World War III right now, send the nukes, boom, he's like, you know what, we need to look into this and find all the facts. And then the Russians have been blowing up all the um, transfer stations, basically the electrical grid, and the Russians have been losing like you know they take over they've taken some of the cities they took over have gone back to the ukrainians i'm sure you heard and so i think russia's like well apparently we can't take over these cities and hold them but like you know what we can do we can blow up their electrical grid and i don't know the names but the you know the, the russian general or whatever who was in charge of the war he got fired maybe two months ago and kind of since then they're like, all right, fine, we're going to, instead of fighting, you know, in fight, instead of fighting army to army and losing, 
we're going to destroy the civilian infrastructure, starting with everything related to energy. And so I think it's partly because, you know, Russia thought that they were just, I mean, like every stupid war that happens, especially all the ones that America gets involved with, you know, you're just like, oh, we're a big country, we're just going to go in there, we're going to kill the bad guys, and then they're all going to greet us as, you know, heroes who liberated the populace. So they didn't start with this stuff. And now that, you know, it's getting into the thick of it. Well, so here's the thing. It's right before the winter. I think, I think at the end of this, this month, they're, they're going to have 21 degrees Fahrenheit, six, what, negative 6 degrees Celsius um, temperatures in Ukraine, end of November. Basically cold. And so, you know, is it just they thought they were going to win? Or were they holding this kind of a, what they're hoping will be a trump card where you destroy all the electricity and you may as well, you, you only want to do that right before the winter where it'll do the most damage where people will be freezing in their houses? I mean, I don't know. Because the thing is, is that electricity, while yes, it is needed for grandmas in their houses so they don't freeze to death, it's also very useful for the armies. Like if there's no electricity in Ukraine, it's going to be hard for... The army guys to charge their cell phones to call each other, for instance. It's going to be hard to put diesel into your tank if the fuel pump doesn't have electricity. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, President Zelensky can get some diesel generators and then they can fill the tank or fill the trucks up in Poland and then drive men and whatever. There's workarounds you can do, but electricity is important. I guess just uh, you, dear listener, think of what you could do, or, could you, or what you wouldn't be able to do if you had zero electricity. Like, Oregon has, it doesn't have barely any army stuff, but we do have a fighter jet base in a city called Klamath Falls, which is the most goddamn remote place ever. I don't know why they chose that. And it's got terrible weather, super cold. But if I think you cut all the power off to that army base with those jets, uh, you'd probably, they wouldn't be able to use those jets. I guess here's the point. Doing something that hurts the civilians may also hurt the army. And so, you know, everyone's going to say, look, you're just targeting civilians. And they're going to leave out the fact that, uh, you know, if you send the entire country back to the Stone Age, that hurts the army too. All right, some new information since I recorded the rest of this podcast. Uh, it looks like it was an accident in Ukraine shot the missile into Poland. And I don't think Poland and NATO are going to all get together and nuke Ukraine over this. So I guess everything's fine so far. They'll never be the real, the bad kind of accident. The Supreme Court has a Native American case in front of them that's mildly interesting. There's some law that is about Indian adoption where, you know, if white people want to adopt a kid, then the tribes can say, sorry, white people, and we're going to take the kid and give it to an Indian person. So it'll be, you know, raised by an Indian. And I think there used to be interracial adoption laws that maybe tried to say the same thing. You know, black kids need to go to black families or maybe white kids to white families. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't sound, you know, you get the idea. And I think that stuff's been struck down as, uh, you know, race is uh, discrimination, discrimination. But with Indians, it's a little different because, like, Indian tribes are kind of like their own countries. I mean, not really, but, I mean, they kind of are. And so the case is there was a Navajo, I think, woman who 
I mean, you know, they don't say. Probably just a crazy bad alcoholic or something. Anyway, she couldn't take care of her kids. And so she had a son. And that son went to a white couple. And they've been raising the son ever since. And I think, you know, the mom, the original, the, the birth mother, and then the adoptive parents. Um, I, think they, I think the adoptive parents were foster care to adoption. But anyways, anyways, the birth mother supported that. And then after that, she had a daughter, which for whatever reason she can't take care of. And so she sent the daughter to go live with her brother at these, you know, white couple's house. And I believe she can go visit them when she wants or sometimes she visits them. But then apparently the way being a member of a Navajo tribe or Indian tribe works is the tribe picks you and says you're an Indian or a Navajo, member of the Navajo nation or something. And so that's kind of interesting. Like, they could pick me. They could pick me and say I'm a Navajo if they wanted. They can do it to anyone they want. I mean, usually they limit it to people who are somewhat genetically Navajo, I hope. But the answer is, I don't have to ask them. If they want to make me a Navajo, it wouldn't involve me asking them. They can just make me a, you know, they don't have to ask me. They're just like, you're a Navajo. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm a Navajo now. All right. And so the mom of this little girl did not ask for the little girl to be a Navajo, but the tribe tribe just said you're a, said the little girl's a Navajo. And then nothing happened for four years. And so I think she's been like a foster, you know, from a baby, probably from an infant or something. She's been living with this white couple for four years, I think probably in the foster system. And then whatever, they're like, let's adopt her. And the tribe is like, we don't like that. And so the question is, you know, who gets, who who's in control here? Is it the tribe gets to decide or do you have to take the best interest of the child into consideration like you know the birth mother gets to visit they live within a reasonable distance of each other you know it's not like a thousand miles away um the girl has never known any other parents than this white couple and she's living with her brother or just screw all that america was racist in the past and you gotta let the tribes break it up and so i guess there's three competing legal doctrines or something that are that the Supreme Court is looking at to try and figure this out, which the first one is Congress passed a law saying the tribes can do whatever the hell they want. The second one is that the tribes have their own type of sovereignty. Like I was saying, they're kind of, kind of, barely like their own country. I mean, obviously, they're not their own country because legal disputes that they have go to our Supreme Court. But And then finally, the 14th Amendment says that equal protection under the law also known as you cannot discriminate on the basis of race. And so we don't know which one of those three the Supreme Court's going to hang their hat on. Um, It looks like they're going to say the sovereignty thing is the most important and tribes can do whatever they want. And maybe even the tribe, I think they may have like changed their mind on taking away this girl. They're like, you know, it doesn't look good. Oh, been a happy family for four years, living with her brother, the mom gets to visit, blah, blah, blah. This doesn't look good. Maybe this isn't the maybe this isn't the kid we want to take away from someone. But anyways, the the ball the ball got rolling for legally, and so it made it all the way to the Supreme Court, even though maybe that part is, doesn't matter. But so that case was argued, I think, this week, and so the the ruling will probably be in a month or something. Okay, so let's steal man the opposite viewpoint. I mean, I don't even know as an anti woke person that I care either way. It's just an interesting case. But I think there's definitely an inclination to say, I'm on the side of the child, you know. Usually you feel like a better person if you say, I'm on the side of the four-year-old versus 
you know, any other side. You got a four-year-old girl, and then any other side. You feel better if you're on the side of the four-year-old girl. Doesn't matter who the opposition is. But anyways, there was a time, you know, like you know, you got to do what's in the best interest of the child. So that's, I think, for white people for hundreds of years, or however long, that's kind of how it's been. And, but you know, that's kind of just a phrase. It's just a phrase. Oh, the best interest of the child. And so that's what they used to do to steal. Indian babies away from Indian parents back in the day. They're like, oh, stealing your kid from you and putting them in an orphanage or something, that's in the best interest of the child. And so it definitely makes it funky when, in you know, a hundred years past, I don't know when they stopped doing this. I don't know, maybe 70s, maybe 100 years ago, I'm not sure. But they used to say, in the best interest of the child, we're going to do something that's terrible for the child. And now they're like, well, in the best interest of the child, we're going to do something good. So makes it a sticky wicket. And that makes me think. There was a, I heard a segment about um, a woman who took her kid to Saudi Arabia and then can't leave with the kid. I think it was on NPR or Slate. It was on some woke thing. Although, I mean, I don't, I mean I'm not saying, I'm not saying what, the, what's, what I'm about to tell you about was right. It wasn't right. But there was a twist in the segment that I listened to. And so some woman met a Saudi Arabian guy, and the Saudi guy was going to college. I think they were both going to some American college. She met the Saudi guy. She became a Muslim. They had a kid together in America, and then he went back to Saudi Arabia. Maybe got a divorce and went back. Basically, he hit it and quit it. And then some number of years go by, and he contacts his ex-wife. He's like, you know what? I'd like my kid to meet her grandparents, why don't you come visit us in Saudi Arabia? And so she agrees. She flies to Saudi Arabia with the kid. Um, I think he puts her up in a hotel. And then he's like, oh, you know, I'll be, I'll be over at 8 a.m. to pick up the kid, and I'll bring the kid back at 5 p.m. or something. He does that for a couple days. And then he just doesn't bring the kid back after that. And Saudi Arabia, you know, they're, they're a hardcore Muslim country. They got Mecca there or whatever. That's the Mecca of... Muslim things. And I think their rules are, if your parent is Saudi, then the kid is a Saudi citizen, and maybe, like, dads get to decide what happened to the kids. Anyways, the Saudi laws just all favor the dad. And you may have heard of cases like this. This is not the first one ever. There's going to be a punchline at the end. And so, this Saudi guy must be rich, or rich enough, because I think he just keeps paying for this woman to stay in her hotel room, and she just, she's saying she, like, never leaves. She just, like, orders room service, and takes a dump in the bathroom and never ever leaves the room and she must have a cell phone or something and she's you know she's calling the American embassy or the consulate or the whatever everyone she can call you know she's contacting Biden she's she's doing everything she can like hey someone help me help me get this kid out of here help me get my kid back to America and so the inter- interesting part of the story on like I say NPR or Slate whatever it was is the lady's talking and she's talking about you know she's like when I talk to the U.S. consulate or whatever, they're, they're like, you know, we can't help you. What, what did you think was going to happen? And that sounded harsh. That sounded very harsh. Sounded very harsh. And then, like, the, the way they end the whole segment, I mean, you know, you can see. It's just all about how she's in the right and women are treated terrible in the world and America doesn't help them. You know, it's, a lot of it is about blaming America, even though it's a Saudi thing. But, like, just the last few sentences of the whole segment... And she's like, 
And yeah, everyone I talked to before I went over there said this is exactly what's going to happen. But I mean, it's not my fault. And I was like, oh, okay, that explains it. Like, like you never heard of this? I think they did a movie maybe five, ten years ago about a woman. Like a real true story about a woman who had the exact same thing happen to her. So like basically, if you are a mom with a kid and you're thinking about going to Saudi Arabia to visit the dad... You know, and you go on the internet or whatever, like everyone's going to know. Uh, that's not a good idea. The dad can take the kid away in two seconds. So I think what it is, is she, I mean, I don't know. This part is just pure speculation. Why the hell would you go do this? He's probably a rich Saudi and she probably is like, maybe we can get back together. Maybe I can get back together with my ex. And she lost her kid. She wanted the D and she lost her kid. And I remember more about the mom in Saudi Arabia. So like she's been there for years. She's like, I'm not going to leave without my kid. And I think, well, up until the more recent hijinks, um, she could have left at any time. She's like, I'm not leaving without my kid. I'm just going to stay in this hotel room and be, you know, depressed and mentally ill. And then the the Saudi grandpa of the kid, I mean, he, I, he probably made it up anyways. He said that she said... Islam is bad. Said something about Islam, which in Saudi Arabia is a capital offense. They can put you to death if you say something bad about Islam. And so I doubt Saudi Arabia is going to hang her or something. But, you know, she probably should have gone home. You take away the kid, you probably should go home to America and then start a big hoopla about it. And maybe you can get the government to force Saudi Arabia to do something or something. But anyways, now... Whatever. She might get put to death. I guess that would that would be the end of that. And it makes me think of other stories I've heard where basically, you know, white women, Christians probably, um, get with a Muslim man and become Muslims themselves. And the stories I hear of this, it comes from the mainstream media. It's, you know, the woke media. They, you know, if you're white, you're evil. If you're Muslim, you're oppressed, you're good. But anyways, every story I've ever heard is just how it turns out terrible for the, for the white woman. Like when the Iraq war and had ISIS, you know, the Islamic state was like taken over and then whatever, like white women in Britain were like, I'm going to become a Muslim and go over and marry a Islamic state fighter. And anyways, it did not go well for them. I mean, before the, before all the Islamic state fighters got killed, it still wasn't going well for them. You know, now they're designated as terrorists. I think I think they're still over in limbo. The parents, the moms are still over in limbo, and maybe they let the kids come back because they are UK citizens. Anyways, obviously the news tells you about bad stuff. You know, it's like they don't say a, a million people weren't murdered yesterday. They tell you about the one person who was murdered, and so maybe there's tons of Christian women converting to Islam, and everything's going great, and you just never hear about that. But like I say, I've never heard. Anything other than a horror story about it. Twitter handle at Anti Woke Podcast, and thanks for listening.